Welcome again uh, to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of your pastors, and uh, uh, we appreciate you joining us uh, this weekend, whether it's here in Buckley or those that are a part of our campus in Manistee. And this weekend, I'd like to give a special shout out to those people that are engaging with our church service online. And uh, I'm never, or I never cease to be amazed at the people that I meet that I didn't even know they were interested in church or interested in faith, people in our community and other communities uh, that I'll invite to church uh, because I still do that. And then they'll say, no, thanks. Uh, we just watch online. And I'm like, who do you watch online? And they'll be like, oh, we watch the tabernacle. And I'm like, Really? And they're like, yeah, what, like, what'd you think about my life? And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant, but why don't you come and see a live thing? And just this week, I had someone say, nope, we're good. <laughs> we like watching in jammies. So I was like, okay, cool. So to all of those people, whether you can't uh, uh, come out because of the quarantine or because you're at risk or you just like watching in jammies, we love you and thanks for being a part of this. Uh, uh, but we do invite you, if you can, at some point, um, stop by and see us. We like to meet live faces. So we have a lot to cover. Uh, we are in chapter two of 1 Samuel. And this series, as I warned you, if you weren't with us last weekend, uh, the reason we called it Samuel is because we're gonna bite off a really big chunk. We're taking both 1 and 2 Samuel and we might be in here until the Lord returns because there's 55 chapters, right? So let's get after it without any more introduction. We're in chapter two, and just as a way of a little bit of a recap, the way this epic story begins is that it starts with a family, a man named Elkanah and his wife, Hannah. And uh, he actually had two wives, Hannah and Penina. And the wife, his favored wife, the wife he loved was barren. But Hannah prayed, and Hannah asked God to give her a son. And out of all the countless women through the ages and all even the countless women that may have been in Israel at that time who were barren, God has a purpose and a plan. And he chose to answer that prayer because he had a plan, a plan for Israel and a plan for the world. And so we're in this part of Israel's history where we're transitioning from the time of the judges to a time where there were anointed kings. And God uh, gives Hannah a son named Samuel who she gives back to God as a very young boy to serve in his temple, to be a Nazarite, to be, as we said last weekend, the last judge, the last judge. And, and those of us that know the story know that he's the one that will usher in the Davidic dynasty, uh, King David and all of his descendants, the most important one being Christ himself. So with that being said, let's pick up the story starting in chapter 2 and in verse 1. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. 
He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord of, of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now we're going to pause right there. I thought it was important to read her entire prayer because her entire prayer is one of praise. And to be honest, her prayer of praise and of thanksgiving, this unbelievable declaration of what God had done for her is prophetic in its nature. And I felt like it deserved, we deserved to read every bit of it because it's like this, uh, like a banner that we could put up all of the characteristics of God. And this is a woman who is praising a God, if you remember, who sees, who hears our cries, who cares about our situation and who remembered her, right? And it's true for Hannah. It's true for us. And I don't know exactly how all of scripture came to us as, as far as the particulars. You know, you hear about how many different authors in 66 different books over how many thousands of years. But for those people that want to say that God is a misogynist and God is a sexist and this, here is proof that women contributed to scripture. Right? You didn't see that, did you? Some of you did. And it's interesting because this is Hannah's prayer and it's right up there with Miriam's prayer and the song of Deborah, right? And the Magnificat of Mary, these contributions. She starts out and I, I think it's really interesting for us. In fact, I think it's important for us not to miss this. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My heart exalts in the Lord. You know, she says things like, there's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one beside you. You, you know, there's got to be in verse 3 when she says, talk no more so very proudly. You know, maybe there was a sideways glance to Panina, right? The, you know, the wife that had all the kids that was kind of talking trash to her, the rival wife. You know, I can't even fault her for that. In verse 5, when she says, the barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. She's praising this God in this seven, the perfect number. She's praising a God who's perfect in all his ways. What does your heart exult in? What does your heart exult in? You know, I spent a lot of time this fall on a sideline. And there's been moments of, oh, and there's been moments of exulting. What does your heart exult in? Is it in a touchdown? If you're a Lions fan, that can cut both ways, can it, right? Does your heart exult in a raise? Does your heart exult in a quiet night with your family or a game night with your grandkids? What does your heart exult in? It just kind of checked me this week, and I was thinking about, 
I want to have a heart that exalts in the Lord. And even though all of those things aren't bad, right? Your heart might exalt in a really great shot and a trophy <laughs> during hunting season, right? Or, or, or your heart might exalt in the fact that you get to leave in the middle of winter <laughs> and go down and experience the sun again. None of those things are bad, but I think it's important for us to remember that the giver of all good things is the Lord himself. The Lord himself. You know, we were giving uh, Britain a hard time. Britain's from Oklahoma. And uh, that, I mean, that's just enough to give a man a hard time about, right? But uh, uh, just this week, it, man, you, you make it into just about every message for the last three weeks. Well, okay, so just this week, he was coming from Manistee over to Buckley, and he was on the phone with his father, and the way he told us, he was like, I'm sorry, Dad, but why, that tree is red, and, and he was telling us about that. They don't have a lot of trees in Oklahoma, y'all. And they certainly don't have fall. And so, and then we're like, oh, bro, you're not even ready for peak season, right? And so he's getting fired up already, and he hasn't even seen all the colors yet, where you can see a tree that looks on fire up here in northern Michigan, right? So that's a simple thing. That's fall. And those of you that were born and raised here, unlike me or unlike Britain, we can take those for granted. When was the last time it's like, hey, God, thank you for that tree that looks like it's on fire. Is that worth having your heart exalt in something to the Lord? I think so. Sometimes we take all of our praise and we just save them for the big things, the big give, you know, the big miracle, the, you know, the big holy thing. And then the rest of our lives just get... Uh, y- cast into the humdrum, and we forget that God is in the big things, but he's also in the little things, like a tree that turns red every time this season, right? Hannah's heart exalts in the Lord, and I'm sure it was difficult because she's also saying goodbye to this little boy, and she's leaving him at the temple with Eli. So back to the book, verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. That is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. What a cool picture. What a a contrast. A little boy, in my mind's eye, in a little white robe, ministering before the Lord, surrounded by corruption. Verse 19, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. And when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, 
May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord so then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And so we see this picture of the place that Hannah has left this little boy Samuel in his little linen ephod. This is a contrast with Eli the priest and his sons who were also priests. And this part of the passage is telling us part of their corruption and their contempt and scorn that they had for their duties. They're supposed to be the ministers. They're the priests that are supposed to intercede for the people with the sacrifices. But they're stealing from the offering plate, basically. Because people would come and they would offer a sacrifice. And then here, they're plunging a fork inside to take the food out before it's been offered to God. God had provided for them already. Part of the priest's uh, role was to actually be paid or to be provided for by his duties there. But they're taking before it was even their turn. They're taking the Lord's portion. This is a massive sin for them. And, and the part about the fat portions, don't be too confused by that. You can have fun with your concordance or with, you know, uh, gotquestions.org and find out all about the Old Testament law. But essentially, the fat portion of the meat would be offered as a fragrant aroma on the altar to God, right? And here they're taking by force what's not theirs. No, 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 we don't want this boiled stuff. And if you don't want to give it to me, we're going to take it by force, And that's not all. There's a lot of people serving around the tabernacle there. And and there are women that are part of the service personnel. And the sons are taking women that don't belong to them. What a contrast with the little boy Samuel and his little linen ephod that his mom is coming every year. I mean, how do you even get the size right? You know, you're guessing. You're like, do you think he grew this much? Well, take some scissors just in case. You know, his arms, you're not with me, whatever. But this is where he's growing up. And Eli, the high priest, he, he's getting old and he's hearing reports. And we kind of see this half-hearted effort. I, now, I've heard some, you know, make really harsh statements about Eli. And I, I think that's a jump to do that. I don't know, but I, I don't know what kind of father he was, but I know what the scripture says about his sons, and it's a horrible indictment. It says they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They were worthless men. That's a heavy statement to say about somebody. To have Holy Scripture say about you, there's no worth in you. 
There's no value in you. Now, we can wrestle with that in 2020 and say, you know, we immediately begin to examine our lives. I, I don't want to be known as a worthless man. You know, my son, my one and only son turned 13 this weekend. And I'm, I'm praying with him and all of my daughters that I'm not raising up worthless people. I want them to have value. I want them to know the Lord. And that is the key, I think. And it might sound harsh. This doesn't mean that anyone who doesn't know the Lord is just a worthless person. You know, we're made in the image of God and God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But at the same time, there's a tension here because it's saying that our value, our worth to a certain extent ultimately is determined by whether or not we know the Lord. These two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, They treated this, God's people, the gathering, the ministries, the importance, they treated it with contempt. They were corrupt. They stole from God. They stole from God. And that could be any one of us. You know, I found myself thinking about that because I don't think I'm an Eli, a Hophni, or a Phineas, but I do serve at God's tabernacle. How do I use my time? How do I use my money? How do I use the resources that are provided for me? Well, I'm thankful that I believe that I know the Lord. I've heard him speak to me. But that still hangs heavy, right? But it's not just for preachers. It's for all of us. That question hangs for all of us in the air. Do you know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord? Because you can be in church your whole life and just know about the Lord. We've talked about that before. And I can't answer that for you. And there's no formula. But I know that when you know the Lord, you know that you know that you know the Lord. And it's, it's, there's a difference. A lot of people know about him. And Hophni and Phinehas and Eli knew about the Lord. And they knew what their duties were. They knew what the expectation was for a priest. And they said, yeah, we know all about that. Don't worry. Give me my share right now. Sons, you ought not do this. And and even in what Eli said, it's like, oh, people are talking. We can't have people talking. And you're sleeping with the ladies at the temple. This is a great sin. And I think that that's key is when we hear a warning, when we hear something from the text or we're in a small group or a student ministry or or just a brother or a sister in Christ that checks us, many times we don't listen. That's a dangerous place to be in. How many times do we hear stories of people came to church their whole life and they were warned and they were warned, but they would not listen. Maybe this is the weekend for some of us here, Manistee, online. In Manistee County, maybe this is the weekend to listen. Eli said, you know, if, if you sin against man, we have a way to deal with that. But if you sin against God, what's left? What's left? And it's a huge contrast with little Samuel. Just doing the work. Little simple boy with his little... Once a year, ephod, that's just another name for a garment. Verse 27, 
This is how this chapter ends. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now let me pause even right there. We don't know who this guy was. In fact, I love the fact that we don't know who this guy was. It just says a man of God. Some prophet dude. Some dude that knew the Lord. God spoke to him and says, I got a message. Take it to Eli. And here it is. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. You guys, this is heavy. Just like Hannah's prayer of praise, I felt like the the man of God's word of judgment needed also to be read. Every last bit of it. Because we can read that story and say, okay, you know, we heard a prayer of praise and then we've got some sinful guys. Can we just deal with them and kind of move on? No, scripture doesn't dance around the subject and it spelled it out. You see, what the man of God was referring to is that Eli was of the tribe of Levi. And God, when he set up the old covenant, the Old Testament law, the way to worship with the priests and the sacrifices, all of those covenants that the priests would intercede for these people. But the problem is, is priests are sinful. The priests are sinful. You have good priests, you have bad priests. It was the same thing with the judges. Some judges were faithful, some judges weren't. And even the ones that were faithful, there was still, there was imperfection, right? But this sin is so great that what we can learn for this is, is that sin has consequences. Sin always has consequences. 
The sins that we read about in the newspapers, the sins of our politicians that we gossip about or in our small towns that we talk about, and the sins that no one knows about. Sin always, always, always has consequences. And so this man of God shows up to say, God sees, and here are the consequences. He starts by saying, did I not do for Israel? Did I not bring you out of Egypt? The answer to that is yes. Did I not show grace and mercy to your people? Yes. Did I not set you up with a job, an important job that that you would be provided for? The answer is yes. And he names the sin. He goes, why have you scorned it? It's interesting. He doesn't go to Hophni and Phinehas. Maybe it's because Hophni and Phinehas didn't know the Lord. And maybe Eli did. I'm not the judge. I don't know. But the man of God comes to the priest and says, you've treated me with scorn. And now there's another sermon in here. And we're just, it's like a shotgun this weekend. We're just going to throw it all out there. And whatever sticks to you, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, right? He says, why do you honor your sons above me? Ouch. Why do you honor your sons above me? Eli could have dealt with that. Instead of going to them privately, hey guys, let's not do this. It doesn't look good. And they wouldn't listen. In God's eyes, you've honored your kids above me. 2020, United States of America. How many of us are guilty of the same thing? We love our kids. I've got five kids and a son-in-law. I give my life for any one of them. But I serve a king. And I'm not to honor my children above the simple obedience that I offer to my Lord and Savior. And how many times do our own children receive a mixed message? When we make them into these little gods, these little cute little gods that start out as wicked little diapered sinners... And then we follow them around and then we live our lives vicariously through them and make sure they have all the stuff and they get a car sooner than they should. And we spoil them because we're trying to teach them with grace. And then we live our little athletic failed dreams through them and they don't really care. They're just there for the sliced oranges, you know, and because that's what everyone else is doing. And we miss the important stuff that they need to know, dad, that you serve a king first. They need to know, mom, that... Like Hannah, you give them back to God every single day. That's what they need to know. The man of God says to to him, he says, you despise me. And now this is what's going to happen. I'm going to remove your family from this holy office. You're going to face the consequences of sin. And by the way, here's the sign these worthless men that don't even know me, these worthless sons, they're gonna die on the same day. That'll be the sign to you because every prophecy has a sign and so here's the sign. They're gonna die on the same day and your family will be cut off forever. You'll have no descendants and it sounds heavy 
But let's not forget that our God is a God of love and of mercy and blessing and graciousness who hears and sees and cares and remembers, but he's also a holy God. He is a just God, and he will not be mocked, as scripture says. He's not going to allow this to go on. These worthless sons are already, if you haven't picked up on it, being replaced by the little boy Samuel. God will find those who will fulfill and be faithful to his purpose and plan and to his law, to his word. So what can we learn as we close from the story? First, and this is the heavy part, but it's important. I will never dance around this as long as I have given a microphone and a Bible and somewhere to preach. I'll never dance around this. Is that God guards the faithful and he cuts off the wicked. God guards the faithful and cuts off the wicked. That's right out of Hannah's prayer. That holy Spirit inspired bit of scripture that she uttered that someone wrote down and has been preserved for thousands of years for us. Nothing's more true than that. That those that are faithful to God, He guards them, He guards their footsteps, He guards their eternal destiny, He guards their life, He holds us in the palm of His hands. But the wicked, who are the wicked? You could say all of us are the wicked, none of us are perfect. The wicked are those that refuse to bend the knee to Jesus Christ, the Son. Those that don't acknowledge that God sent his Son to die on a cross so that I could be counted with the faithful. And if I have a shred of faith and I trust in God's grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I am considered the faithful because I had enough faith, even when my faith is a little bit shaky. How much faith saves you? How much faith saves you? I'm not the judge. But I know that he is faithful. And the same one who hung on a cross and looked at a thief and a murderer who all he said was, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I think that much faith. That much faith. That wasn't even a really cool Billy Graham sinner's prayer, was it? No one was there to tell him to say all the right words. Did he get it right? I think so. Because Jesus doesn't lie. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And God guards the faithful. Those of us who've turned our lives over to Jesus. But to the wicked. Those that haven't been forgiven. Those that continue to treat the gospel, his word, his people, his church. This life that he's called us to, if we treat it with scorn, with contempt, we despise it, it's not important. It says that God cuts off the wicked. Now it sounds harsh, but there's an allusion in the text, I don't know if you caught it, to Pharaoh. And if if you don't know the story of Pharaoh, back when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God sent a servant by the name of Moses to tell him to let the people go, right? And if you remember the story, if you don't know the story, the story is pretty clear that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. And it's interesting. If you go back, you can read it in the book of Exodus and have fun with that this week. Essentially, what it says is 
Pharaoh's response was, I don't know the Lord. He confesses it. I don't know the Lord. Now he'd heard about him and Moses is talking about him, but he didn't know the Lord and he hardened his heart. And then there was a plague, right? And then he said, okay, fine, I'll let you go. And then, then he changed his mind and then there was another plague and they went back and forth. I will not let them go. Let them go. Will not let them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the whole queen song, right? At the beginning, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But when he would not turn, then it says God hardened his heart. And that's always an interesting thing that theologians talk about. And it's very similar to Romans chapter 1. When he says that God created all of the earth. And that by creation, no man has an excuse not to believe that there's a God. And he gave us all of these good things. But that man in his hard heart, in our wicked ways, we chose to worship created things instead of the creator. And if you read in Romans chapter 1, it says, eventually God gave them over to their idolatry, to their wickedness and their lust. That is a scary moment when God gives us over to pursue the wickedness of our hearts, the sin of our hearts. That should be a warning to us. Those are the ones that are cut off. As for me, I don't want to be a worthless son. As for me, I want a God who is faithful and who guards my steps. And it's the same thing I want for my family, for my children, or my children's children. Well, there's good news. There's good news. It was tucked in right there at the end. When he says, uh, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, I spent a little time looking through the commentaries. Well, what priest is this? What are we talking about? And on the face of it, remember, prophecy usually has an immediate fulfillment, but then there's also another fulfillment. Well, the immediate fulfillment is God is going to establish a new priesthood. First, he's going to start with Samuel as a judge and as a prophet and to a certain extent a priest. Then he's going to establish a new priest in the coming chapters named Zadok, who's going to be the priest during uh, David's time. But Zadok didn't live forever. And Zadok was a sinful man just like me. And it says, I'll raise up a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And he will go in and out, meaning he will intercede before his anointed, those of us who have called on the name of Jesus forever. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Of whom Hebrews says, he is a great high priest that will intercede for us forever. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. You see, Jesus is a true and better son and priest. That's the message of the gospel that's laced right in here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, is there's this little, this little picture of Jesus is going to come, the one that will be a priest for us forever. So those times when I don't feel very sinless, where I don't feel very faithful, it's okay because Jesus is a better priest and a faithful priest. When I don't feel like a child of God that always gets it right, Jesus got it right for me. Is anyone excited about that? 
You see, Jesus isn't a son like Hophni or Phineas. He's a son who listened to the voice of his father. In fact, during his time on earth, we read through the gospel. He says, I listen to my father. He says, I and the father are one. I only do what my father tells me to do. This is the message of the gospel. So the heavy part about, oh, I don't want to be a part of the wicked that cuts off. I want to be a part of the faithful that's, you know, that God guards my steps. But what happens when I'm faithless? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. He's a true son. He's a better son than Hophni, Phineas, Samuel, my son, the type of son I've been to my father, your sons. Jesus is a true and better son. And Jesus is also a true and better priest. Why? Because he's the faithful one. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life because I haven't. He was a better son because I haven't been the best son at all times. He's a true and better son. He's also a true and better priest. So what about you? Where do you find yourself this weekend? Here, Manistee, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. Do you know the Lord? Not just know about him. Does your heart exalt in praise? That's the smallest thing because God has been good to us. He's been faithful to us in any circumstance. Do you find yourself maybe wondering, (laughs) wow, I've been scornful, I've despised, I've been contemptuous. Maybe you're one of these folks that have made little idols out of your kids. This is a good passage for us. Isn't it, church? There's grace for us. There's grace in the faithfulness of Jesus, and we see it all the way back in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, that God is making a way, God is making a provision. Would you bow your heads with me? Like I've said before, I don't know what has brought you here this weekend. I don't know the specific circumstances of every life and of every family. But I know that this man, this son, needed to hear these words from God this weekend. I needed to be reminded that I'm called to be faithful to the one who's been faithful to me. I've been reminded again that even in my faithless times, Jesus, the true and better son, the true and better priest, died on a cross so I don't have to. God, I thank you for the way your word speaks. God, I thank you for the way that an antique book with the power of your spirit can still cut our hearts. God, I pray that where there is sin, that we would repent. Where our lives don't quite match up with yours, that we would turn to the one who's always been faithful to us. God, if there's anyone with us that doesn't know you, God, I pray that now would be the time 
that they would give their lives to the one, the true and better son, the true and better priest who promised that he would be faithful to us to the end. God, I love you. You're the best. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.